What's up, y'all? We in here. <laughs> Welcome to All Heart Podcast. I am Noni Lamar. And I'm Thea Monier. And this is a podcast about joy and pleasure. 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 We're gonna see how long. One day we're gonna see how long. Let's move the whole episode. What's up, y'all? We're so happy you're with us. This is our tenth episode. Ten. So when we started our podcast, I was like, "Look, the end. Just just roll with me for ten episodes. Gotta, let's that'll see. make us legit. When yeah. we get to ten, we're a legit. We'll podcast. be legit. Let's see how we feel then. Let's not make any decisions. <laughs> not sign any contracts. Let's just get to ten, and we're at ten. Yes. And at 10, um, we have one of my most favorite other Leos on the planet. Yes. Osai Indolin is in the building. Hi. Hi. Osai is a good friend of mine from college. Actually, in college, we were real sisters. I was your big sister. You were my little sister. Yes. But not only is she a friend and a sibling. (laughs) She's a genius. Genius. <laughs> Yo, I'm about to genius. read Osai's bio, dude. Like, this this shit is official, Incredible. okay? You know how you know somebody? Wow. And then they somebody? Yeah. I mean, they always been somebody. Yeah, yeah. But then they really become somebody. But, other people know they're somebody now, too. And I think we established in the last episode that I'm a foodie, big time. I thought I was in the closet, but Thea no. told me. I don't know how you thought that. Let me say the bio, bio so, we'll so I can tell you. It makes sense once we do the bio. Osai Indolin is a writer and editor whose work often explores food and identity. Mm. Her work appears in the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. Mm. Look, we about to go across the pond. Oxford American. Yeah, because I was like, ooh, that sounds like some other people's shit. Eater. Food 52, Garden and Gun, Atlanta Magazine, Bitter Southerner, The Cut, The Splendid Table, mm, among, among others. Among others. You among know, when you put the it, among others that's, in there. That's, that's, that's like, like, bitch, that's, <laughs> too much to say. That's like, it, just fill in the blank. <laughs> On your own time. It, it, imagine more. Okay. Mm. Southern Living named her to their list of 30 women moving Southern food forward. Her column in Gravy received... The 2018 James Beard Award. Bombs out. We win an award bombs. We win an award So, here. So if y'all don't know what the James Beard Award is, it's like the Oscars, Emmys. Mm. It's like the Grammys of food. Like mm. when I saw that she was nominated, I was like, what? Mm. Because I'm a foodie, right? Yes. And I tried to tell somebody, but only my friend Erica knew what I was talking about. I was like, Tarak. Anyway. I did Google it. I did Google, <laughs> Google it. Yeah, you have to really be into food to know what it is. And mm-hmm. but if you know, you know we got a you boss ass bitch right, here right, right now today. Right, right. Okay, we got. And we'll our, be back for our tenth episode. <laughs> only the best, and we wanted to talk about food with an expert. Yes. Because it's clearly a big part of our lives. Now, it is. You are a more academic food person. Mm-hmm. I am on these streets. <laughs> so I'll be like, this I remember. place got the bomb clam chowder fries. Thea <laughs> still wants to know what burrata is. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. I and I've probably eaten it. Yeah. But I was just like not interested in the name at that time. You, you wouldn't like uni, though. Don't, don't even no, bother. I'm, it didn't mm. sound like that. <laughs> but... But I would tell you where to find the bomb, ice cream, clam chowder, fry. Like, I, I'm, I'm that person. 
So we have Osai. Osai, welcome today. I'm so happy to be here with you. <laughs> so I, I always feel like I'm with you <laughs> in the podcast, like when I'm listening. <laughs> so now it's here. real and yes. I'm like pinching myself. <laughs> I am. Oh, is this really going to happen? Are they going to cancel in the last minute? It's happening. It's we, we do it. We, yeah. do, we do what we say we're going to do. Yes. We do it. And we also have some, some donuts. This morning, because we can't do a food episode about comfort foods. Just so y'all know, this episode is about comfort food. It is about comfort food. So we can't do a comfort food episode and me bring y'all some green juices. So, because that's probably not comforting, yeah. you know. So I It's went, comforting in an intellectual way. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it comforts your, your cells. And I was right. afraid when Noni said she's going to bring snacks, I was like, okay, I, you know, it'll be good for us to get something healthy. You thought I it was going to be like Yeah, I knew. I was like, acai you know, berries. Gonna, yeah, and- yeah, I was like, it's going to be like. Adaptive mushrooms. <laughs> and so, um, okay, that's good. I should have that in the morning. And then when she said donuts, I was like, yes, pause. Are they are regular people with donuts or like vegan donuts? Will they have sugar? There were follow-up questions. And she brought us some legit, sweet-ass, yes. amazing donuts. Shout out to Lainey. Thanks, oh, Lainey. The donut connoisseur. The, do- the donut connoisseur. You led us in the right direction. This place is amazing. I don't even remember what it's called anymore. But Primo's? It- Primo's. Best- Shout out to Primo's. It says best donuts in L.A. Oh, my I- God. No I- lie. That twist. That the glazed twist. glazed twist. Good. Yo. I like that layered cinnamon bear claw <laughs> action. That thing was amazing. Everything was amazing. The old fashioned was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm. It's just mm-hmm. so good. So if you're in on the West Side, go to Primo's. Yes. It's bomb. It, it isn't cheap, just in case y'all were wondering. <laughs> but, but it is bomb. <laughs> it's not a cheap donut. Don't go there for the cheap ones. Right. All right. Don't be fooled by the pink box. It's not everybody's. <laughs> it's not like all the other pink boxes. So we wanted to check in today, our heart to heart. We're going to actually, usually we just check in on, you know, what's on our heart. But we had this really great article that Osai wrote. So we're going to have you talk about it first, and then we can kind of all give our opinions about it. So Okay. Osai wrote this article on Eater.com, and it's been referenced everywhere, right? Like, So the piece was actually um, one of the works featured in You and I Eat the Same, which is a fairly new book that came out this year, edited by um, my friend Chris Ying, along with uh, Renee Redzepi, the noted chef from Copenhagen, um, who has Noma among many other places that he's super well known for. And the book's premise is that what if we decided to come to these complex conversations about migration and movement and who we Mm -hmm. are as a people through this shared space of food. And, you know, don't we all put great things in flatbreads and wrap them? And (laughs) don't we all do, you know? We all fry potatoes. Yes, yes. And so Chris Ying now is, he's in a lot of places. He was one of the founders of Lucky Peach magazine. Um, he works with um, Major Domo Productions with Dave Chang now. So he's doing a lot of really fun stuff. And, you know, he approached me about doing a piece about fried chicken because who doesn't love fried chicken? Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you're vegetarian, like yeah. you still That's like. That's the hardest <laughs> part of becoming vegetarian. I mean, that is right. the hardest fried chicken. You still hardest. appreciate yeah. like. The... You still remember. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Unless you were born and raised right. a vegetarian, right. you've never had fried chicken. You probably even had that fake, that faux chicken. Right. 
everyone wants everyone wants fried chicken the, at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's exponentially transferable to many different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, as Asha Gomez, the Atlanta chef from Kerala, India, says, every culture has figured out how to put a bird in flour and mm-hmm. fry it. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's it's delicious. And so you know, we take as our centerpiece uh, a chef named Morgan McGlone, who um, is. Living in Australia, you know, half European, half Maori from New Zealand, comes to the American South, you know, after I don't know, popping around the world doing all mm-hmm. kinds of different things and spends time cooking for Chef Sean Brock, where he starts to understand more deeply the complexity of Southern food and its its origins. And while he's in Nashville working at Husk, he is introduced to hot chicken, mm-hmm. which um, has been making a name for itself outside the <laughs> South more recently. And he starts to really get excited about what hot chicken could be uh, on the other side of the globe, uh, back home. And he eventually opens up a place called Bell's that serves fried chicken, hot chicken, collard greens, mac and cheese, and all that. And it appears that it's not only gone over well, but it's growing. And when Americans go over there, they they seek it out and then they like it. And so it's kind of this question of, you know, what you know, if you if you know about the history of fried chicken in America and how it has been inextricably linked to black people and racism, the essay kind of questions what happens when fried chicken is kind of decentralized from mm-hmm. that conversation in another space. Mm-hmm. In a so, whole nother continent by yeah. a whole nother kind of a person that's not black. Yeah. Can we if we can share the joy that fried chicken brings, can we also share some of the weight that it carries as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think about it, Thea? You know, there was this line about, like, not eating, black people not eating fried chicken in public. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just basic at the end of the day. I mean, I'm deep, <laughs> but I'm basic. So at the end of the day, that's like, you're, that's the weight we carry, right? right? Like something that we enjoy, something that is tied to our families and that we, we have memories attached to family gatherings about publicly if we eat it similarly to watermelon you know we also have that same feeling about watermelon because of the way it was depicted we feel some kind of way about sharing that part of ourselves in public and it made me think again you know similarly to like different things in music that have been taken out of our communities when they're put in another community Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're super acceptable Mm -hmm. same thing with hair same thing with body type um just another way of like extracting the culture and leaving the people right, behind. Right. And it was really beautifully written because the, the journey of it and the understanding that, to me, what I got is like, there's a lot of things that are intrinsic to blackness and to to African origin that everybody can benefit from. Right. But you just should know and recognize and acknowledge where it comes from. We mm-hmm. could all enjoy this great stuff. Nobody's saying you can't enjoy it, but we are saying to acknowledge. But it, th- that was the interesting part to me mm-hmm. in that article is it felt like that chef was acknowledging where he came, where he got the recipes from. Yeah, who, he was. Yeah. Who taught him how to cook it. But it, at, the, at the end of the day, no black person was benefiting yes. financially yes. from that. And, yeah. and so it's kind of like what I liked about it is like you didn't have any answers. Mm-hmm. You just kind of presented this as like, what do we do with this? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we deal with this? This is cultural appropriation. Like yeah. we understand that it is, but food does belong to us all. Mm-hmm. We all enjoy it. But when me and Thea walk through Culver City and we see that 
I won't even name the name of that place. And I was about to see. That's why she's better <laughs> just not to call it out. See? And we see that place, and there's barely any black people, and it's just super and hip-hop music coming it's from just it. Like, I think oh, when no. we walked by the other day, it was like Snoop Dogg was playing, was. and there was not a black person inside, and like everyone was just eating their fried chicken, and like one, two, three, <laughs> to the four. And I was like, what is that? Happen? Is yeah. this, is this, is this a movie set? Is this fake? Like I was waiting for the uh, what do you call it? The G Wiz? Yeah, the G Wiz. <laughs> What's the G Wiz? It's it's hard, and you know it's you know it when you see it. You can't always put your finger on it, and that's why it's so it was interesting to kind of reflect back on some of the the history. We've we've always kind of understood in my lifetime, certainly, black people and chicken are always kind of linked culturally, but you're not really sure why and and. Uh, you you know even if you understand if you take a few ethnic studies classes mm-hmm. you may see even some of the old iconography mm-hmm. of black people being depicted with birds and right. and um, mm-hmm. meaning like yard birds or kind of stealing chickens or mm-hmm. you know having this proclivity for eating chicken in a really like kind of aggressive and mm-hmm. animalistic way and it's kind of like where does this come from and um, in reading the book by Psyche Williams Forson she's a scholar and she wrote a book called Building Houses Out of Chicken Legs Black Women Food and Power she looks at many of the, the structural things around chicken but how how black women selling chicken as waiter mm-hmm. carriers mm-hmm. Um, in this in the south in the 19th century you know at the end of slavery helps to bring you know f- financial stability into mm-hmm. those those women's um, households, and you know, it starts to travel through the, with the Great Migration when you're when you're on that train and mm-hmm. you don't have access to the accommodations because you know, well, they're going to let you on the train, but they don't really want you on there because mm-hmm. you're leaving the South to go do something else. You're going to bring a box of cold fried chicken mm-hmm. with you because it travels well, and mm-hmm. um, you can purchase from these women who are out there selling not just to Black mm-hmm. people but to other people. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, again, it's like a tool that was used, mm-hmm. you know. Or a mechanism that was used to help bring empowerment, you know, Mm -hmm. was also at the same time used to uh, subjugate and Mm -hmm. to embarrass and Mm -hmm. and to oppress people. Mm -hmm. So kind of understanding that a little bit more was was really interesting into being able to confront now, like, you know, we have Popeyes, we have KFC, you know, with with Nashville Hot Chicken in particular, you know, that was born out of a, a black business, Prince's Hot Chicken. And... Every place inspires, yeah. you know, there's been a lot of deep dives on that conversation, even even in what has happened in Nashville with other white-owned establishments kind of branching off of that and having the ability to capitalize, get right. more loans, expand, expand, um, while Princess Hot Chicken is, you know, arguably still in a kind of run-down strip mall yeah. and, you know, it's popular and people love it and people will stand in line and wait for hours, but... You know why? Why is it don't a they franchise? have the franchise? Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Like why isn't it a franchise? And you know that's not to say that I, I don't know all the details about you know how business is handled in the family or how things have happened legally. But the question is, you know, what are the structural inequities that make it so easy for someone else who does not carry this mm-hmm. racial history mm-hmm. to um, kind of move forward and bring financial reward to their communities and to their people? And the people who originated this process yeah. and who yeah. whose ancestors made this food for you know white we're talking about gentrifying you know? the chicken. That's yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Like, and, and you know what really struck me is like I really thought like 
a lot of the parts of your article, even when you're talking about the cold chicken, the cold box mm-hmm. of chicken, I have so many memories as a child of my grandmother frying chicken. I have so many memories of my grandmother teaching me like, hey, can you show me how you fry chickens? So my grandma, I remember going into her kitchen and she had this fryer, this this big pot that must have been like some sort of crock pot because I remember it, it plugged in, mm-hmm. but she would fill it with oil. So maybe it was some sort of deep fryer and mm-hmm. she would fry the chicken in there every time. And I would sit and watch every time, watch her coat it, mm-hmm. watch her season the chicken, season the flour, mm-hmm. put it in a bag, shake it mm-hmm. up, <laughs> put it in the fryer, take it out. Put it there, cool it down with some paper towels, and then I get to eat it, right? And then sometimes she would, I want to go to the movies. She would pack it up mm-hmm. for me, love put it. it in like a little bag, go to the movies with your chicken. Or sometimes if we went as a family, we would all pack up our chicken. I remember like, they say we're not supposed to bring food in here. Mm-hmm. She's like, they don't have no good food in that movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, we're about to bring mm-hmm. this chicken. Like, mm-hmm. And and, well, and that, that kind of thing. And then to the point where the memory, it happened so much. That when I went to fry chicken for the first time, which was not that long ago, because I'm I'm not really frying chicken. First of all, I don't even eat chicken right now. But at the time, I was like, you know what? I never fried chicken. Right. Let me go to, you know where I went. I went to the farmer's market. I went talk to the chicken farmer. I started talking to him about his chicken. I got the chicken. And then I prepared it. I didn't even prepare it from a recipe. I prepared it from the memory, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The memory of my cousin mm-hmm. making it, the memory of my grandma making it, the memory of her mother making it, and watching everyone make it. So the t- by the time I ate it, I was like, "It's so bomb!" Like this, there was no yeah. way for this to turn out bad. Like, yeah, it's in you. And I will say something that we have forgotten, and that I think a lot of people are working diligently to try to educate and remind us of, is that fried chicken used to be a specialty. Mm -hmm. It was not, you know, pre-industrialization, like Mm pre-modernity, pre, you know, like you can just buy stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. because Popeye's (laughs) is frying like just hundreds of chickens every morning. Like, you know, it would be special occasion food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our, our, ancestors in late 19th century ancestors were mostly eating off of the land yep. a lot of legumes a lot of yeah. plants and very local very yeah. you know yeah. season driven yeah. very yeah. farm garden based yeah. um, our ancestors ate like I do yeah they they were they yeah. ate plant based right and then they threw in some right which when you when you had an animal that you could right. use to eat they would eat it right yeah but my grandmother, you know, grew up in Mississippi, and she would tell me like she they had pigs and and chickens and goat and and cows, but you weren't just slaughtering those right. animals every every week. You know, it was occasion. right. That's something you know that changed with the shifting nature of industrialization in our country, and you know, of course, you know, the more we could commodify and and reproduce easily, you know, things are now accessible all the time, and yeah. the same things happened with parts of soul food too, right? Like those were the things that were easier to travel, easier to supplant in your new Mm -hmm. location. And, and then you kind of take the, the cream off the top, you take the sweets, you Mm -hmm. take the savories, you Mm -hmm. take the desserts and maybe some of the more, you know, simplistic, you know, bean salads Mm -hmm. and things like that Mm -hmm. get kind of left behind, you know? Um, There was a place out here, there was an article on it sometime this year. I was just pretty done at that point. There was a, white owned restaurant I think it was in Long Beach do you remember this and they were stealing they were buying chicken from Popeyes and reselling it I remember, I remember that yeah, I remember this. and I was like you know what wow. this is a new 
fucking <laughs> low. And but I think also, as you, I hear you talk about it, and in reading the article, it's it's just such a metaphor for so many parts of our existence, right? right? Because yeah. I'm sure those women. I mean, even selling it at time, they tried to probably criminalize it. I mean, it's, everything's criminalized until right. they find a way to make money off of it. Right. I think about that a lot with the weed industry now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you mm-hmm. know, and so it's, it's, we're always, it's the same, same um, game book, same playbook, just in different areas. It, it proves that anti-blackness is in every aspect. It's everywhere, yeah. In every aspect of our, of our existence, but also the, the irony of it is that literally it also means you have no culture without us. You have no culture. Like, our culture is the bedrock of so much culture in yes. this country. It's just, tr- but the <clears throat> thing that, like, keeps me warm at night is, like, hot chicken was created by black people. Like, we're mm-hmm. going to continually innovate on the, we're going to innovate on the design Always, every yes. time. Like, yeah. there's you can steal whatever you want. We're going to make some gonna make new <laughs> shit. Alkaline, black people who eat alkaline can find a way to take a portobello mushroom <laughs> and make that shit taste like chicken. Like, yeah. I'm like, how did you, you, you took a portobello mushroom and some chickpea flour and I, and this tastes like Popeye's. Like, what, how, how did you do this? I don't I, know. I a vegetarian friend who legit, <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't believe it. Like she had to bring it to me. She only cooks it special occasions on uh, Thanksgiving and it's, uh, she basically makes a fried chicken and she does it like from scratch, making it from gluten and like all this stuff. I was like, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need proof as a chicken connoisseur. She brought in. I was like, this shit is outstanding. It is amazing. But our, it's, you're right. We, we we're going to keep creating. That's our life force. Yeah, that's the light to me. That's the light in the tunnels. Like, yeah. like we're gonna continue to innovate on this. Like, no matter what you do, and everyone should fry chicken. I've had some right. bomb fry. I mean, the hood, the, the, all the hood fried chicken is fried by Asian folks, and yeah. it's really good. Mm-hmm. Like Koreans know what's up. They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They know how to fry chicken hella good. Twice mm-hmm. fried. You are the first person to take me to Korean barbecue. Do you remember this? I don't. You don't remember? I don't remember. I'm trying to think of... Well, first of all, I don't really eat red meat. And so uh, you were like, you really want to go to Korean barbecue? It's like beef. We're like, yeah, yeah, I want to go to Korean barbecue. We're in Atlanta. We went to, okay. we drove like far yes, out yes, somewhere. Yes, it's coming back to me now. We sat down and then they started bringing all of them dishes. Right. And I was like, this is like, cause I'm like a condiment queen. So I was like, this, is this heaven? Like, did I wake up and enter heaven? And then they started bringing all that meat and we started cooking it at the table. I ate so much. And as soon as I got home, I just started throwing <gasps> up. <laughs> Oh, no, I did not hear. I don't think you told me. I want to tell you that you took me to a meal that made me sick as hell at the time. You know, I'll tell you like 10 years later. Oh, my God. But it wasn't because I knew it wasn't because of food. I don't eat beef. Yeah, like, yeah. So that was I just, terrible. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it was so, You tried to order. You said, are you sure? It was, like, it was so bomb, though. Like, I just remember being like, just just putting all the pickles. There's so many pickled situations. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what. Korean food is um, such a sprawling cuisine that I'm just, I, I feel like I've had in my life for a long time, but I'm trying to learn more about. And I'd like to try to go to Korea next year. Um, and I love that even when they're bringing you all these plates of pork, belly and you know short rib and ribeye that you you know growing there's 
a plethora mm-hmm. of fresh mm-hmm. vegetables, mm-hmm. pickled, fermented so foods, just so bright and refreshing mm-hmm. and uh, just nice, delicate, like little, you know, little sour flavor over here, a little mm-hmm. vinegar over there. We don't generally, I feel like we don't really eat like that kind yeah. of generally speaking in America. Yeah. And just, you know, you can get as much kimchi as you want. You can yeah. get as much <laughs> little pickled, an- or the, excuse me, the, the, like the dry fried anchovies mm-hmm. that you can get. I mean, just so many. So it's like I eat as much of the banchan, that's what they mm-hmm. call those small dishes that uh, you can share, as I do the yeah. meat servings. Mm-hmm. Um, Balance. When you go to Korean barbecue, oh, balance! <laughs> it is, it is. I didn't, I didn't participate in balance. I hadn't had a rib or anything in a long time, oh so I was god. like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Oh my god! No. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be. It's a good memory. I think uh, t- just to segue into like what we're mainly going to talk about, which is mm-hmm. comfort food. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking also still about the article and like feeling like. The times you feel like you can't enjoy your food because oh, it's yeah. representative of something that's been used to uh, depict a racialized image of you or whatever, mm-hmm. and like re- like pulling that back, right? Like I think some of the health craze uh, trends that come out to me mm. are really root- are really anti joy. I tell Noni all the time. I've tried yeah. several. I've tried different things, and I'm like, okay, this is the right way to go. This, is-. but they always. Robbed me of joy, and I realize it's partly because I feel like they robbed me of choice and flexibility. Like, if I happen to be meeting a friend in another country or mm-hmm. in another part of the mm-hmm. part of this country, and there's like a specialty there that I've never tasted, like not being able to have that experience because I've ascribed to a certain food lifestyle. Gotcha. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha. It, it feels like an, I don't think that is always the most culturally aware thing to do. Also, some of the things that are suggested to eat aren't thinking about different cultures and what's best for different cultures in our bodies. Yo, yo remember mm-hmm. when I told you last week that um, I step on the scale every mm-hmm. time? Mm-hmm. I don't know why you do that. Um, I was like, why morning. did you do that? So I'm going to tell you how God blessed me. So this week, <laughs> you know, this week I, I get on my scale and it said error. And I was like, what? <laughs> error? It's about to be the holidays. I need to know. I need to be able to like to gauge. And I just kept stepping off, stepping on, stepping off, stepping on. And then I was like, oh, maybe this is a gift. Like, I don't need a scale no, until no. January 1st. No. no, no. <laughs> For the next two weeks, I won't have a you're scale. Off. But I think that that's a large part of what you're discussing yeah. is like something I go through of like, I really want to enjoy that donut I had earlier yeah. today. But yeah. like thinking about like. The carbs that are in it, the amount of sugar that's in it, thinking about what kind of oil it was fried in, thinking about who made it, what kind of energy they have. I mean, these are the things that I'm constantly Mm. thinking about, about food. And oftentimes, like, I have to just be like, yo, just enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know? I I have never had that. No? No. So... I, I've always been the kind of person that's like, well, if I'm if I'm gonna have the donut, I'm gonna I want the donut. I'm eat the donut yeah. And you know, had a lot of meat last couple of days. Maybe I should eat something more vegetable right, focused right. for dinner. That, um, but I you, you I, eat like a French woman. That's what you're trying, <laughs> yeah, trying, like, trying to tell me. You eat like a French. woman. I'm like, well, you know, it's butter. The butter is there. You might as well <laughs> just put it on. You know, like and I, never, I think yeah. that's the consciousness. Like after all those trials that I'm starting to move into, only because like a lot of the work I like to do, especially when talking about black healing is around the sacral, right? Mm. And like pleasure and enjoyment. And you have to be in your body to do that. Mm -hmm. So like these external tools to measure 
how we feel in relationship to what we eat, to me, are as helpful as like you knowing how you feel in your own body, right? So like if I eat meat three days in a row and I'm like, ooh, I feel sluggish, I feel Mm -hmm. less clear, but I want that self-awareness internally to gauge for myself what I should be eating from day to day, right? right? As opposed to it being like, this is prescribed for me or right. this is dictated by my 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 scale or the what this lifestyle yeah. calls for. It's to me, it's helping me to be more intuitive. It's using food to create a stronger inner relationship with my own intuition, with my own self-awareness, my own right. body, which I think a lot of um well one, I think, you know, we eat what America produces. So that's not necessarily what ancestrally we should be eating, right? (laughs) So clearly that's not what's great for us. But also we eat to keep moving as opposed to to nourish and things like that because we're in a very industrialized, working, productive space. So sometimes we just grab what's available or we're bored and we're trying to like get through it. We don't want to do this work. We don't want to do what we're doing. So we eat to numb that. And so there's just total lack of awareness. But I, I also feel like because our bodies have been attacked and commodified and you can take the culture, but you leave the people and dismiss. And so it is, it's this weird dissociation from our body that when we're eating, I feel like that's an exercise in how to rebuild that connection to your body. Right. Does that make sense? It, yeah. it does. Yeah. Yeah. There is a whole like intuitive eating movement, you yeah. know, like people that are really hmm. focused on only eating based on intuition and what your intuition is telling you mm-hmm. to do, which I think is great. I think sometimes for someone like me, like I you if I don't have any addictions, like mm-hmm. food is that. <laughs> and right. so like it's hard for me to be able to just be like, yo, you're you're full. Mm-hmm. Like you're mm-hmm. you're done. Like but if I still have an emotion that's there that I'm trying to kind of ignore or that I'm I'm not really giving all of my um, attention to. Mm-hmm. Food can become the source of that, and like a lot of it is not just. I wouldn't even say food. A lot of it for me is cooking. Mm-hmm. Like cooking is the or creating food, creating dishes, creating flavors is is like what is a a practice of maybe escape, mm-hmm. a way that I escape, mm-hmm. and so. You know, I'm not a person who's like just busting open like bags and, and like boxes right. and shit. So it or like cartons of ice cream. But I'm more so like, hmm, I have 10 bananas <laughs> and I have a coconut cream. And I got, how can I make ice cream right now? And mm-hmm. it's 1045 p.m. Like, like <laughs> you know, like and then I have to like be and then I make it or whatever that that dish is. And then I'm like eating it all, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, and I have to be like, yo, like, no, this that's. <laughs> That's too much Not pleasure. Like, Remember that time you ate the Korean barbecue? <laughs> I, I think with the intuitive eating, sometimes um, I talked with my aunt about this. Like sometimes I, I think that's the body saying, like if you're really craving, I don't know, man, I really want some blueberries. Like maybe your body needs fiber, right? Mm-hmm. It's like right. if you have right. had the programming of having these different um, natural mm-hmm. resources mm-hmm. Right. Um, kind of set in your your body's constitution, then when you want that thing, it's maybe your body yeah. expressing a desire yeah. to have more of a resource replenished or, you know, having, having those levels filled back up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I've gone, I've started cooking when I'm on deadline <laughs> and a lot of writers do that. A lot of people do that. Some people it's cleaning I've done mm-hmm. that too, but there's something about um, putting something in order starting with kind of some type of chaos 
implementing a set of processes and coming out with a finished mm-hmm. item of some of some status. Yeah, that that's what I'm doing. You, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, girl. That lets, say that. Say that. I like that. It I'm, lets you. I'm establishing it, order every night. It's true. It's true. Especially if you're in the process of trying to generate that in a creative space that where maybe it's not coming together so easily. There's something of a win, right? Yeah, when of I like, marinate those onions you know, and then put it with them potatoes. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And you open you're it. You're right. And and I put, you're put like, a lot of oregano. You're right. You're, you're right. right. That's what I did with that cast iron skillet. I put some it's order. True. I put some order Listen, down. Don't we cannot undermine <laughs> just because it may come quote unquote naturally does not mean it's not still some very intellectual shit going oh, on. Oh no, yes. very much. I, I, yes. I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm, very yes. much. I, I would say so. <laughs> I've had I've had to cook. Notice how I'm phrase this. I've had to cook Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I've been a parent for now 15 years. I said I've had to cook, and this is different between I want to cook and I have to cook. Right. Right. Because I raised my children to have opinions and to be individuals, and then that backfires on me at dinner time when everyone has their Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. their they have refined palates. I remember going to like you know those build your own pizza places. And they're just used to kids walking through there with like cheese and pepperoni. And my kids were like, can I get some goat cheese? And then I'd like, um, if I could get some of the caramelized onions, please. And I mean, they're like eight, mm-hmm. six, you know. But right. I like that they were exploring and they, they've been in the kitchen with me and doing different things. But, you know, this is another one of the things I feel like this industrialized life takes away from me. It's like mm-hmm. the joy of being able to... The, the traditions you talk about with your, your grandmother, right? Watching her cook that chicken and having that time. Mm-hmm. That's not what my household often looks like. Mm. So sometimes I miss out on the comfort of the cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and also I can't always cook what I would want. Like it's, mm. you know, it's not a, it's not, it's a, it's not a, quite a dictatorship. But one <laughs> thing that helped, and I'm kind of jumping around, was like I did um, come across Sweet Potato Soul. And um, her her YouTube and her book and all that stuff. And I loved it because she's from the South and she recognized the value of the culture and the memories and the history and wanted to create something that people could have healthy alternatives. So even if you if you make, make a, some of those meals a week and then you have your chicken on Sunday or whatever, it would give you options, right? And so her book really opened up options for people who wanted to have some plant-based options. That coupled with the Instapot that you put me up on, Noni. If you like, are a mom. I was... Hold on. If you're a mom, the stop right now. Wait, we need a sponsorship for this. Really, though. If you're a mama, look, if go you, go somewhere and ask somebody to get you Instapot. Like, you just need one. And if you're Instapot, we would like to be... There's so many <laughs> We would like to be sponsored right by now. you. Yeah. Recipes. So, so many But that Instapot. really made me enjoy it again. Mm-hmm. Like, I would get back in there. I was buying fresh ingredients. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. trying new things. Like... People were liking it, you know, and for a period of time, it was like, like getting me back in the game. But, you know, then time. <laughs> There's also meal kits, which yeah. people have different opinions on. But um, there a lot of them. Uh, well, there are there are some who work with farmers that are local to yeah. you yeah. and that will, you know, so at least even if you can't concept Sometimes it's hard to like, okay, come up with That's, the menu. And let <laughs> me tell you what word menu, I can't stand. Feed I, people and clean up. The worst sentence. The sentence that will drive me through the wall is I get home from work and the first thing is what's for dinner? Oh my God. And I literally just walk to my ass <laughs> in the house at 6.30 and the first thing everyone wants to know is it literally drives me nuts. Right. I'm like, 
Did nobody else think about this today? Because right. it's the conceptualizing. Plus, I would come up with some dope shit, but y'all <laughs> got all these requirements. You know what I'm saying? So you need to start delegating. You're on. You're on salad. You're on whatever. You're on vegetable. You're on. But just this. the question alone triggers me. Be- oh, for sure. Yeah, I've gotten triggered, and I don't even have children. I have a partner. <laughs> you're just like- and it's like, I, d- d- hello, hi. Right. <laughs> like you're the only one in the world who can answer this question. I mean, but but to his credit, you know, he's always thinking about food. Like we'll be eating dinner, and it's like, so what do you want to have for dinner tomorrow? And it's not necessarily about what I'm going to cook, but more just like what are we doing? Like what's the point? Oh no, it's more like and, what am I? Doing? Right. I mean, you have little people, yeah. But I, yeah, I'm completely... our people ain't that little. They could cook. Well, now tell, I'm tell starting them, to designate. Tell them, tell them to pull up that YouTube day on all day. Now yeah. I'm starting to designate. Yeah. Like like each of them take a night. To cook a meal. Then again, guess who does their grocery shopping when they come up with their menu? Yeah, but it's like at least they that has felt good to have a plate brought to me. I finally yeah. got a little toaster oven so they could hook it up. The homie told me to get a, get a toaster oven and sleep in. Like get a toaster oven. That's when it gets good. No, yeah, I got a toaster oven yeah. recently, and I'm like yeah. showing them little things they could do in the toaster oven. They made their little um, smoked salmon. Bagels the other what day. The they got their bagels. They cut them in half. They put them in. They put their cream cheese. They got their smoked salmon. They put arugula on it. I was just like, yes. It's such a novelty for, yeah. I mean, I remember being somewhere between like eight and like 11 or 12. And every time I was in the kitchen, I was like, Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Now I don't real. I didn't realize it at the time. My mom was probably like, "Yes, she's got." It. She. Had, I had a couple of kids' cookbooks. I had. A, we had an electrical. Um, we, we had an electric stove top, so mm-hmm. there was no fear of me like gassing everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's that smell? No, but I mean, it was just. It was so accessible. I had yeah. a little step stool, you know, set number of things that you know I was even interested in doing, and that probably freed them from several meals uh, throughout the week for me. I yeah. really believe in that. Like yeah. I have, I have all of the things that you could have, and I right. think that people think that it's like a much more expensive mm-hmm. than it is. But I just save money. To get a waffle iron, right. to get mm-hmm. an instant pot. I have two instant pots. Um, before that, I two I have, recipes going at the same time. Yes, because yes, one has yeah. grains and right. the other has whatever the main lentils. dish is, mm-hmm. lentils mm-hmm. or beans or whatever it is. It's going to be. And like one of the things I kind of wanted to say is like I think that people feel afraid to repeat meals, mm. but if you find good solid meals that your family loves. Just keep them in rotation. Don't do, you know, I do like Monday, Tuesday, Monday, and then you have the Tuesday leftovers. You're going to see that again on Friday. Right. Mm-hmm. Like right. everybody in my family knows you're going to get lentils three times this week. Right. Mm-hmm. One right. time they're going to be a red lentil. One time they're going to be a green, <laughs> green one. Lentil. And then you might get you a little French, little French lentil going, you know, you, you, like if, if it's a, you might get a black lentil. Right. Like I might be feeling crazy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like but like something. I make like a, a a doll out of the red lentils yeah. and then I make that you're gonna get that normally every two weeks and then you're gonna get that that French green lentil soup every single week. You're gonna get it. It's gonna have time in it. It is, or it's gonna have herbs de Provence. It's right. going to you're going to mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. And doing it so often that everyone sees me doing it until my seven year old when he's eight. He's going to know how to prep yeah, that, right. yeah. put it in hay. And I'm just teaching him every day, come, come check this out. Like the same thing if you eat chicken. Like I made chicken soup all the time in that Instant Pot. Like, And it take, took me 10 minutes to prep. Yeah, yeah. 
that's it. And so, like, I think that that, that kind of idea that we have to keep making it interesting. Mm-hmm. One of the things I do to keep things really interesting is I create a lot of condiment side dishes. Mm-hmm. So I'm not into meal prep because I'm too much of a food person to decide on Monday that I'm going to eat <laughs> what I'm going to eat on yeah, Thursday. I haven't been able to do many planning like that. It's so gross to me. Like, how can I even know? And like, this broccoli has been cooked for three days. Like, this is just, it doesn't work for how I work. But what does work for me is to do a lot of like a Sunday where I do all the homemade hummus. I do marinated onions. I do like tuna salad, egg salads, like do big batches of things that are like, I even made a list. Wait, I'm about to tell y'all. I'm about to tell y'all how to get down. I make salsa verde, which is really, really a simple thing. It's not, it's the like Italian version of, of, you know, cilantro, like some sort of like cilantro and parsley together with garlic, olive oil, like those kind of things, pestos, guacamole, Mm. nut pates, like homemade dressings. Take all of those things and just make batches of them. They sound complicated. They're not. That's what Mm. YouTube's for. Like, I'm just like, hmm, I want to make an almond almond dip how do i do that you know and then just make rice and veggies or quinoa and veggies and then you always have all of these things to make or chicken and and vegetables or fish and vegetables you have these things that are like really flavorful to really mix it up make one nut pate Mm. with chili paste added and then then you know the thing i love about figuring out recipes and adapting them for your taste and your lifestyle is that once you have them, they're yours. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like learning the lyrics to a song. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you can you can yeah, pull, you can pull it anytime you it. want. And I mean, certainly you survive by making leftovers function as something mm-hmm. new the next mm-hmm. day. Uh, Bruce, my husband, he will make a one pot meal with some. You know, it's always like got beans or lentils or something like that, and he'll add a bunch of stuff into it. And he'll he can just eat off of that for like several days. Like he'll he'll do that. I can that. do that with the red lentils. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like I need some variation. But um, I also travel a lot, so when I am home, it's kind of like I don't want to be in the kitchen a ton because mm-hmm. I'm tired. But I will. I mean, I made a broccoli chard a, a charred broccoli salad um, recently mm-hmm. that was inspired from a recipe I found and then the next day I like re, you know recharred it threw mm-hmm. an egg on it and mm-hmm. then like made a little yogurt and dill sauce on the side and it's like okay you have like a whole new meal yeah. so you yeah. know it was like you remixed it you know you gotta do that you gotta, re- you gotta remix. Give and I, I take those lentils on Monday and I turn them into lentil tacos like hey. that I take those potatoes from from Wednesday I turn them into potato tacos or burritos or like there's just so many ways I think to remix food and it's a lot. I used to think, you know, my partner will tell you that he thought I couldn't cook at all when I used to be Thea's roommate. He said I cook struggle food. No, you know what? You made you made <laughs> me my first food? batch of quinoa, and I think it was the first time you made quinoa. I I did not eat quinoa for a long time after that. It looked, it looked it good. Quinoa has has been, has been overrated in some instances, but I, I mean, quinoa is good. To, it's good for you. Yeah. It, it was just the first it, time I heard it and saw it. And but I is it the tastiest it. thing? I probably no. did burn it. I couldn't cook it. <laughs> yeah, it I probably know, so it probably doesn't need to be like the main ingredient. It can like yeah. function like as a like a yeah something <laughs> you sprinkle on your salad. We <laughs> we eat that joint twice a week. But I do want to say that when I got I got the book, The Art of Simple Food. 
I lived in the Bay mm. for like six months. In those six months, I learned how to cook. Mm. I could not cook before. But because I had a lot of access to great farms and farm fresh ingredients and the Berkeley Bowl, in those six months, I got one book, Alice Waters, The Art of Simple Food. And I took that book and I learned how to cook. Mm. It was just a very, and, and she just walks you through it like, here's a pan. And there wasn't really much like YouTube or like, you know, you want a cooking show, you had to turn on the TV. Right. So I just learned from that book. And now any, literally anytime I go to a restaurant, oh, I like this. Hmm. Gremolata? What is this? Okay, let me go home. And I just put it in YouTube, and then I just make it. You we know what I'm saying? We were trying to recreate the food we had the other day when we took our treat day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was I recreate almost every dish. If I enjoy it when I'm out, right. I can come home and recreate it. it. But that's because I learned the you building, learned the, basics. the basics, building blocks of how to create flavor, how to how to make food. And I think that, that that resource is like a really good one. That was from The Art of Simple Food? Yeah, The Art of Simple Food. Well, today, the person who is doing that for people is Samin Nosrat. Oh, and yes. And she worked at Chez Panisse in Berkeley mm-hmm. and learned how to cook in in the restaurant and in her book salt fat acid heat she explores what you're talking about these core building blocks that you know the premises if you understand these things and if you can master them you can make delicious food and mm. her show on netflix i love that show is What's the name of i the think show? i Gift. cried i think i cried someone all else that. told me they cried <laughs> what is the name of the show it's called salt fat acid oh that's yeah. it's the name of the show and yeah, the book it's, yeah the, it's okay. a genius the fat episode is that's the first one i believe right yeah right. that's the one where i cried like and because she just loves food like she every time she tastes the food it's romantic you're saying the exact same thing as my friend david <laughs> who was like i cried i was like why did you cry like it's such a good he was like no he's like they just enjoy it so much it's so like, much like, wow she's so alive yeah she's enjoying food right. and that they really in that like you see olive oil. As soon as I was yeah. done watching watching that program, like I threw out all the olive oil that had been sitting there. Yeah, that's like I was rancid. Like, this is probably. rancid. I'm yeah. only getting the best of the olive oil because you want your food to taste good. You should mm-hmm. see it. It's I'm on Netflix. Watch it. yeah. It's it's. I joyous. wrote it down. It's joyous, and you know, to add on to that, uh, I think something that we've. I think a lot of people are noticing this, but I think it's great that it um, it hasn't been too maybe blown up. Is that you know, as an Iranian American woman writing a general cookbook that mm-hmm. is accessible to anyone who eats, then that is not treated as this niche you know mm-hmm. market thing that you know mm-hmm. it's why it's been I think in many ways so beloved because we're just not also not accustomed to seeing people of color, but especially women. Um, on TV, eating and chewing and enjoying things mm-hmm. and asking questions and being the one to introduce us or to uh, reshape our idea of a mm-hmm. particular food or a particular place. She goes to Italy, right? And she's with this <laughs> grandmother and she's making pesto, which I had never, I don't think I'd ever seen pesto be made, but it was the most. I did because I grew up Italian. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, but you know, it's like the most romantic, it like so scene. Of just this, I mean, and I don't mean romantic in the, in the sexual sense, right? But yeah. it's like just this, this just Beautiful. beautifully like inspired and, uh, um, respectful like just respectful of the process and just all these different elements are coming in like, you know, scenically, right. It just takes you back to mm-hmm. like breaking down like a, a film scene or something like mm-hmm. in college, you're just looking the light and the angles and 
the space. Sometimes there's just sometimes they're just quiet. You know, in a lot of cooking shows, mm-hmm. they're filling it up. They're asking questions. You know, you see this a lot on the morning shows, right? Mm-hmm. I can't even watch. <laughs> it's like, and what are you doing now? And yeah. th- you know, it's just so like you've got to fill the space, fill the space, yeah. and and you they're pounding and they're like you know, it's like sometimes there's really nothing to yeah. say. Sometimes you just watch this yeah. product turn as you are you know applying this process to it it's really gorgeous it was like she was meditating yeah with her like teaching her how to meditate through making pesto i was like this is is brilliant it's a brilliant 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 thing and so simple and you could you could feel how good it tasted and the book is is simple too i mean i I love this i've recommended to so many people because it's illustrated putting it in my cart right oh my gosh you you want it and when you get it you're like how has this not always been in my kitchen because even if you Mm. are someone who knows how to cook you know just understanding um i mean she has this illustration in there where they break down what an egg how the color of an egg and how it changes the longer it's being boiled it's like and it's illustrated by time and you know that's not something a lot of people have thought about like if mm-hmm. you boil an egg for six minutes versus 12 minutes or you know mm-hmm. and depending on what you're going for and the taste and the structure and how that's going to come apart and just seeing that all laid out and the illustrations are powerful, I think, in an mm. unexpected way because there's there's room for you to interpret what you want to take from it as opposed to a photograph being so realistic and kind of you're disappointed mm-hmm. if your dinner doesn't look like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the picture. I mean, I know a lot of people who feel that way, even though those pictures are highly stylized mm-hmm. and there's like seven people standing around and someone's got a light shade and mm-hmm. someone's, you know, mm-hmm. they've, they've spritzed the, the lettuce so it holds firm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, those things take a lot of work. There's as much work done on food photography as there are people who model professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a reason why they're aspirational because they are. Um, so the illustrations in salt, fat, acid, heat, I think really give a lot of space to just kind of say, well, I'm going to make this my own. I'm going to really claim it. Yeah. I'm going to order that book. Yeah. It's going to be one of my readings for while I'm off. I want I'm really curious about seeing how, you know, You've tasted so many of the foods, and 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 you were. I just even listened to you talk about the process. The times I have been able to sit and enjoy cooking, that's what I felt. I think I've been frustrated that I haven't been able to tap into that more frequently. That mm-hmm. I can't bring that joy to it all the time. Mm-hmm. But what is your, what is your go to comfort food? So I knew you were going to ask me this, and it's I don't know why. I've drawn a blank because maybe it's because so many foods Mm -hmm. come to mind. And so I don't know. And I I think they're always changing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, one of the strange things about um, having the, uh, the privilege of getting introduced to a lot of different cuisines and sometimes being able to have foods in the places where they were originated is that you, uh, it's, it's like, um, when I first had mung bean jelly noodle salad, which is a Sichuan dish, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that I loved it so much and that I had spent most of my life not even knowing it existed. Mm-hmm. Like those two thoughts at the same time was like, this is an amazing, very simple, but like an amazing dish that I love. And I could have gone my whole life yeah. and never known about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. what the fuck is yeah. that? Yeah. Like, yeah. wait, mung bean the jelly, jelly noodle, noodle salad. What's in the jelly noodle? I'm taking those so, for you, <laughs> <mung> <laughs> bean. 
Because you know, I'm like, I got I some know. mung beans at the crib. It, as soon as you said it, I knew. <laughs> you know, I got some mung beans at the crib, but I want to know what's in the jelly noodle. Do you know? The so that you have mung beans at the crib. So don't worry about it. It's just the mung bean starch <laughs> that gets like cooked and shaped into like a gelatinous block that people that you could then extrude noodles from. That itself doesn't have very much flavor. It's more of like a conveyor belt for the mix of sauces and things that are combined. So there's like sesame oil, there's garlic, there's uh, that rich black vinegar, there's hot chilies. And it's it's like red and sloshy and spicy but cold. It is an amazing mm. thing. Now, you know, it's something that I have gotten um, been made aware of by taking friends to places they haven't been. Um, although I have not, I don't know what my record is. I've never <laughs> followed I, up. To see I, I haven't followed up with other people who have gone home and vomited up their dinner. <laughs> but for some people, texture is an issue. Mm-hmm. Texture has never been an issue for me. I like to joke around that like, I wasn't, it wasn't allowed to be an issue. Like, yeah. I mean, I know that people have allergies and I know that people have real, you know, responses to things and I don't play with any of that. I, I, that's fine. But for me in my household growing up, you ate what you what was on the plate. You did not ask questions. You did, you, did, you did not point. You did not inquire. There was no investigation. There was no conversation, right? right. right? And when I finally figured <laughs> out... all that in my house. Yeah. When I finally figured out how to like get lima beans off my plate and into my napkin with no one noticing, like that Same. was like the Same. biggest achievement Same, in my yeah. life. We'll never do that to my children, ever. <laughs> There's so many other good beans in yeah, the world. Yeah, right? Why do that? I Why? mean, I appreciate lima beans now when they're stewed and cooked with a little ham and all that. But, you know, at the time, Frozen out of about, yeah, it wasn't happening for me. So I say all that to say that I, I just sort of, um, if you're going to present me with something, I'm going to try it. Yeah, for sure. It's actually a flaw of mine as a food writer that I sometimes don't find out what's in stuff because I'm just so used to just accepting it as we mm. presented it to me. And it's kind of like that old school, like when grandma put something on the Mm-hmm. You just gonna eat it mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's it's gonna be yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. gonna be yeah. fine. Um, so it was kind of new to me when I was first starting out that you know you could have an opinion about something and that didn't have to be good. You didn't have to finish mm-hmm. it and all of that. But all that to say, I kind of lost track of what you were asking me. But the the mung bean, mm-hmm. it's it's basically just it, it's a kind of gelatinous noodle that is made from the bean starch, and you know you mix it with all these different herbs and spices and it's often served as an appetizer mm. in Sichuan restaurants. So that's one of my comfort foods. I'm going to mm. have some tonight. Um Uh-oh. mung bean jelly noodle salad. Noodle salad, noodle salad. salad is one. I want to know. I, I need two more cuz we'll, that's one. Okay. That's one. I I love this. Yes. Um I got another noodle for you though. This one is Korean. It's japchae. 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 You familiar with japchae? I'm not. You Tell can me. eat japchae. <laughs> It's sweet potato noodle. Oh, I love sweet potato noodles. And I don't really, you know, this I've never seen made, but it's one of these things that, like, the flavor is so mild and so uh, just without trying to sound uh, um, uh, dismissive, it's kind of basic, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like like if if you've ever had congee, right, it's like basically porridge, right? And part of the... The greatness about kanji is that it's like just soothing mm-hmm. and kind of mild and simple. Mm-hmm. And japchae has that for me. You know, it's these dark brown noodles, and you can get them with a meat added, but it's oftentimes just kind of shaved vegetables mixed, mixed in. And I love that. There's not many great places to eat where I live now. You know, California, born and raised. I moved to Atlanta. I was there for about a decade, and now I live in North Central Florida. 
in a college town called Gainesville, and it just hasn't quite captured, it hasn't quite made the best of the opportunities <laughs> that are presented. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling, I'm pulling for them. Um, but one of the places that I do like is a, is a Korean restaurant and they, they have japchae there. And sometimes I just have that hankering, you know? Mm. Um, so those are some of my <laughs> favorite dishes right now. But in terms of things that like, I don't know that I, that I cook at home. I mean, sometimes it's just really simple stuff. Like I like to sometimes take a piece of Levan bread or sourdough bread, and I'll like put it in a little cast iron with a little bit of olive oil just to heat it, give it some firmness, and heat it up a little bit. And then I'll fry an egg. Um, I like, I haven't figured out how to request this in a restaurant, but like, I like when my eggs are over easy, but the white part is crispy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I know it. yeah. it's like for some reason, if you ask for an over easy egg, it comes out like it got nuked in the microwave yeah. for 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it just yeah. has no like caramelization, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So just putting that on a piece of bread sometimes with a little butter or a little Louisiana hot sauce, mm-hmm. like that to me. That's comfort food. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, I um, sometimes end up cooking and then not really being that hungry afterward. One of those things I sometimes make, vegetable soup so I'll make a green pea soup um mm. with um like chicken broth and um you know I'll cook down the peas with I'll cook down like the dried peas with white onion and garlic and I'll let it simmer and simmer simmer and then it's like just the joy of like seeing this thing transition from these like mm. individual peas to this just I use the handheld immersion blender, and mm-hmm. I just love that process of just like Me too. you two are. It's, it's the alchemy that you two are in love with. <laughs> yeah. I can hear the, yeah. the, yeah. the alchemy. I was like, yes, out. I love. Yeah. I love my hand notes for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, yes. I love all of those so much, and mm-hmm. I want to hear Thea's next because I wonder how oh, if, if she's going to have. Different. It's going to be. I, want, I, wanna, I just want to know if you had the jelly noodles. Hell on no, <laughs> I didn't even know there were jelly noodles. So but when you eat them, you're going to be like, "How have I lived my whole life?" I am. Look, listen. This is the thing about me. I'm super open. Like I would try anything once. Once it's introduced to me, so I'm taking notes for myself too. I'm. I'm not scared off by eating and trying different things. It's just, you know, I've been I've been in these trenches for 15 years, you know, with these kids. So, you know, you don't always get too adventurous. But I will say, I was thinking of my comfort food, and it is very simple. Um, it's banana pudding. And mm. um, when I, I had never eaten really banana pudding before, but my first daughter I had, I was pregnant through the summer. And if anybody's ever been pregnant through the summer, it's like literally walking around <laughs> with a toaster oven jammed in your body that's always on. There's like a whole other level of heat. There's like a whole other level of heat. And so I would be so high that I would just be sitting around the house like with, you know, you just in your drawers and you're barely a bra if you're lucky. <laughs> and you're just like, I'm so hot like all the time. And... um that was when I was introduced to banana pudding, and it was so cold. <laughs> it was so cold. And, like, the way the cookies break mm-hmm. down and become, like, soft, and then there's the banana, like, the, and the banana's actually the hardest thing sometimes mm-hmm. in it, you know, mm-hmm. the most solid thing in it. It was just, like, goodness, like, scoop of scoop of cool goodness. And my, I, my go-tos are sweets. Mm-hmm. I'm a sweets person, which is not the bomb, mm-hmm. you know, but, mm-hmm. 
but I get like little synapses in my brain that go off when I have sweets. And so banana pudding is definitely one of my comfort foods. And one other one that, that around this time of year that I do a lot, and I look forward to this time of year, is not a food, it's it's a tea. It's um I got it, a student recommended it to me, and they, I can't remember the YouTube channel they got it from, but I know what's in it. And it's a it's black tea with um black peppercorn, cardamom pods. Chai. Uh, it's mm. like a chai. Mm. And there's you do turmeric. I oh, think, yeah, turmeric. Um, I add turmeric, ginger, it's something else um, with the C. It's the cardamom pods, cloves. Mm. That sounds cloves. like a chai. Yes, yeah, like a chai with turmeric. Yeah, with chai turmeric, with turmeric. Ginger, extra. <laughs> ginger, and then um, I usually add like almond milk. But but it's that smells at my house, mm-hmm. um, the cloves and everything and the heat yeah. that it yeah. brings. That like I do that when I have gatherings at my house. I think mm-hmm. were you there? Mm-hmm. And I made like big old pots of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to figure out like, how are we gonna gather in the winter? T- oh, well, you know I'm in LA, but we do have a winter, people. I don't want your judgment. It, it's cold to us, and um, it doesn't help that I live like near Altadena by the mountains, so it gets colder. Right. And we're used to having these outdoor gatherings, and so I was trying to figure out a way to keep everybody warm. While keeping the gatherings going, and it was it was the tea that made it possible. So this time of year always feels good about that being kind of our comfort spot, and it worked out because everybody was all cozy with their mugs and they drank it, and it just felt good and brought everybody together. So, so good. I would say those are my that. two. It's not super fancy. Well, no, but- hold on now. <laughs> but the two dishes I described, they're not fancy in the yeah. cultures that they come from. Mm. We have a way of like putting some extras and exoticizing mm-hmm. mm-hmm. other people because it's. Yeah, Different. I didn't grow up with them, you know, mung beans chilling in my fridge. Right. But, you know, those like are pretty none. basic foods. And 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 especially the job chai, I think, is just like, you know, like it's planting. like, it'd be, it'd be like I had said spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah, right? no. yeah, yeah. So it's my turn. It's no one's turn. Come with it, no. You know, I love a good comfort food. I, I got a lot, you know. I, there's so many ways I could go. I mean, I could just go on butter on toast, you know what I mean? Yeah, butter I'm on toast with, with a little bit of that flaky Malden salt. Mm-hmm. Mm, that that alone. <laughs> some some real, yeah. some Kerrygold butter with the, meh, on good toast. I could, I could go there, but I, but I won't. I could going? just go to the humble potato. Cause who doesn't want it with some cheese on it in some way? Like <laughs> the humble to dig, dig that, dig, just make some potato skins and put mm-hmm. some extra green onion on it mm-hmm. and dip that joint in like some blue cheese dress. I go there, but I won't. But you won't. I'm gonna go to Africa. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna cross. My ancestors told me the thing that comforts me more than anything really is a deep fried whole fish. It could also be grilled. I've had it like in the Caribbean like this. Literally, like if I'm driving around L.A. and I'm like, I'm having not having a good day. In my head, the first thing that pops in is a whole fish. It's the <laughs> just, whole just, thing yeah. with the eye. Yep. Okay. Gotta have the eye with in there. The gotta do it. If yep. I'm feeling like, if I'm maybe <laughs> listening to some like Buju Bantan, I'm like, I need Eskovich. Like, yep. I need some like mm. them onions and like all of them joints. But normally I just want it like one of my aunties used to make it with like just deep fried, seasoned, right, complete mm. whole fish because my dad's from Cameroon. So that's like a 
normal street food, but we had it with every holiday, birthday, party. My dad would request for him for her to come and make it and then have that with that side of plantain. Mm-hmm. Some people call it plantano. Some people call it plantain. We call it plantain in my house. Mm-hmm. And they have to be the perfect ripeness. Mm-hmm. Don't bring that green Don't plantain. Do Don't bring... That doesn't <laughs> comfort me. It can't no. even really be yellow, to be quite yeah. honest. It's got to be black. I want the black yeah. one. I don't... Yeah. All the yeah. mother plantains that I find sometimes <laughs> in the store, yeah. like I want, I want to make my plantain at home because usually, yeah, right. unless you're Cuban, the Cubans they know how to the make. Jamaicans get it too. The no, Jama- the, yeah. Jamaicans can do it right, but a lot of just going to the no offense to my Salvadorians, it's not always sweet enough for me. Right, it just kind of depends on where you're at. But right. that black plantain just mm-hmm. so sweet. And me personally, since I was a child, would put garlic salt on it. I know mm. it's. Oh. Just put that. some garlic mm-hmm. salt because I want that sweet. I want that salt mm-hmm. mm, together. <laughs> Ooh, that fried fish, that plantain. Mm-hmm. And I would like a salad, you know, if we're making a whole meal. Because I like to keep it healthy. We already got two fried things. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? I don't want like a nice green salad with some white onions, mm-hmm. mm, with some fresh tomato. She got the whole meal. She said comfort she meal. <laughs> <laughs> This is known topic. This is on tours. What you what, what y'all want me to do? This is this is, we we, we live we live for it. We live to eat. That's mm-hmm. what tourists do. I love all that. Doesn't I it sound so that. good? That's, That's what I mean. It's like good. everything, everything. I mean, there's just so many ways to go. There's just so many ways to go. I love to roast Brussels sprouts. Oh. Like a hard roast mm-hmm. with so, a little bit of like balsamic vinegar mm-hmm. and a little bit of fish sauce and, and you just fish mix sauce. it up. Oh, I'm man. about to try that today. Salt. <laughs> Checking Salt, notes. fish sauce, and a little bit. You only need a little douse. You only need a little douse. But man, on that hard, on that hard roast, look, you toss it afterward. It's 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 the shit. Wait, put the fish sauce before or after? So you a little olive oil and salt. Mm-hmm. Put that in the grill. Mm-hmm. Like faux hunted something, yeah, you know, hot, yeah. Get it, get it brown and crispy. Right. And you don't have to kill it, but you know, like yeah. it's it's hard, it's hard roasted. Take it out. Add a little dash of you know balsamic. You're right, balsamic. A little dash of fish sauce, toss it, put it back in there in like five minutes, bring it out. Get some hot sauce too. Stop. <laughs> I put my aunt onto that. She freaks out every time she makes it. It's so good. It's that so, fish sauce, so I think, is going to take it to the next it's level because I'm always it. trying to conquer the best Brussels sprouts know. recipe. I know. Our producer has an amazing one. I made it for Thanksgiving, it was phenomenal. I, I have to try it with shrimp paste because, you know, every culture has that umami, that mm. just like that textured, salty, like flavor, extra, extra. It's not salty, but it's like in that area, right? Like it's going in that direction. I want to try it with some like fermented sh- shrimp paste. And, you know, do you know the vegan one for that is umi plum vinegar, or umi plum paste. Oh, no, it I gives you the same kind of thing. So, miso too. Will do yeah, that. miso yeah. will do it, but not all not all vegans eat soy. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So if I'm making something, I can't keep up with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not all vegans eat soy. Yeah, soy, okay. soy no, I heard that. I heard that. So yeah. soy is a soy. It's questionable. Yeah, it's soy is a questionable thing. So umi plum vinegar is actually one of my secret ingredients, umi and almost vinegar or umi plum paste the umi okay. plum paste is it's a, such a strong flavor but i use it in in stews and chili and mm, soups and like when people are always like what is in this anytime someone asks me that that's what it is because they're searching you know you're always like what's that umami like you're searching for that flavor that depth and that really does it Richness. if you can't yeah it's i mean 
fish, it holds no comparison to fish sauce. Mm -hmm. But if you're making something for vegans, Mm -hmm. I eat fish, but if you're making something for vegans, that's, that's what's up right there. We did so many things. You know what I didn't share? Mm. You can relate to this, Thea. Mm. I like a nice, medium, rare, bone-in ribeye. You know who feels your that? My oldest daughter. Yeah. That child can take down. I don't need anything else yep, on it. That's little how she salt, eats. Yep. little butter. That's her. Stop. Don't talk to me. That, I'm fine. We go out to eat and <laughs> she's fine. ordering yeah. the most, the thickest piece of. that bad on yeah. there. It's so good. Would you like any accompaniment? No. Nope. nope. Yep. I'm like, do you want, <laughs> ve- don't you feel like you need some vegetables? She's like, nope. Just I can meat. do it at home. Just, Just one steak. One, yeah. a single yeah. steak. My grandma used to iron. tell us to do that with a, she, you want a snack, go get a steak. And I was like, a steak? And she's like, yeah, go get a steak out the freezer, defrost it and cook it. And I was like, what? About the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I learned how to cook a steak, though, like really young. But I, I didn't like, I never liked meat like did that. It fulfill yeah. your, but did it fulfill your snack? I mean, you're full. Yeah. You're full. Yeah, you won't be coming back to her for like several <laughs> hours. A couple days. She was maybe. like, who doesn't want steak? It's because how she grew up. She like grew up picking cotton. She's like, we rich enough you now. That's just middle class. Steak, right. We middle class. We get steak, steak as anytime. Steak a snack now. <laughs> yeah, steak God. as a snack. Okay, let's let's close out with our words from the heart. Who's your guest? We're going to let our guest go first. <laughs> um, I think, you know, we talked a lot about food and history and meaning. And, you know, even with all these thoughts swirling around, what I tend to keep coming back to is just that joy of sharing food with, with people yeah. who you care about. I mean, and I know it does sound cliche, but it's because it really works. Yeah. I think like we all, you know, no matter who your people are, there's just nothing like. And I, I mean, one of my favorite things to do is um, go to a restaurant, uh, especially if it's a new place for everyone, and we just order a bunch of stuff and we mm-hmm. all share. Yeah. And um, yeah, I did that the other night recently. And it was just a joyous evening, almost to the point where what you're eating is in the background, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's that's like the conveyor belt to the experience that you're that you're sharing. And mm-hmm. so just having that time, that face to face time with people who are all doing a shared activity, you know, together, like and it's over this meal that we all need, but you know, like we need each other just as much. I, I really love that. Yeah, I really love that. I think I've done that in forever. Another thing to add to my list of things to do while I'm off work, um, I would, I just want to leave people with the idea of um, figuring out your food journey internally, using the tools to help you get there. Like I've used cleanses to help like reset my palate so that I could be making more conscious, intentional, intuitive choices about what I want to eat. But I've used it to reset, right? I haven't used it to like um, sort of attack any part of myself. Um, And mainly because with that new palate, with that reset, you get to really listen and have a conversation with your body and with food and rebuild the trust in your own inner voice and intuition. And I think that's become like the defining characteristic of my food journey. So there's no shame around it anymore. Mm. And there's no, 
um, all this. I know what I know when I know it. I'm like, ah, I shouldn't have eaten that note to self, you know, do better next time or whatever the case may be. Or maybe like, I really enjoyed those donuts. I'm so glad I did that. And so whatever it is, it's going to be different for everyone, but it's important that you have the journey. I love that. Um, my words from the heart are, even if you can't cook, cook for someone that you love. I can cook really well. And so it's very um, few and far between the moments that people cook for me. Mm. And when they do, it just means the world to me. It means that they want to see me happy, nourished, fed. Food literally is our sustenance. It sustains our life. It gives us energy. It allows our hearts to keep beating and our lives to keep living. So even if you can't cook, you know, get you a little, um, get you a little, Little take take out, put it in, fake it, you know, fake mm-hmm. it up, like pretend like you cooked it, but really feeding someone and then feeling like you did something special for them, it's just so important and it makes them feel so loved. I love when my partner cooks for me. I love when my children cook <laughs> for me. And even if they're just making like cutting up apples with their like really jagged knives <laughs> and <laughs> scooping peanut butter onto a plate. It feels so thoughtful mm-hmm. and it feels like love. So cook for someone that you love. Okay, Osai, we've had so much fun talking with you. <laughs> I've had a blast. <laughs> so can you tell folks where they can find you online? Yes. So online, I am on Instagram and Twitter. Um, my name, Osai, O-S-A-Y-I, Endolin, E-N-D-O-L-Y-N. And I am in some places offline, like in the book we talked about earlier, You and I Eat the Same is on shelves now everywhere. And you can find that fried chicken essay along with a lot of other really wonderful pieces that pack a lot of punch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also was a contributing editor to a book called Truth, Love, and Clean Cutlery, uh, which your girl Alice Waters was the USA editor of, which rounds up a selection of restaurants throughout the country that in some way, shape, or form are contributing to um, just better food, whether it be through, obviously, the food that they cook, where it comes from, the people that they are hiring, how those folks are cared for. Um, So we tried to do a good job of thinking about um, restaurants in every region of the country that are doing their thing. So... That's so great. We're going to have all those links below in our show notes. We really appreciate you. Appreciate y'all. What am I going to do next episode? I'm going to like not be here. I'll just sit around the table staring at your faces on a picture. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.